And so we were using the Unreal Engine to build uh, the local airport um, and then had built a scenario uh, for what would happen if a plane crashes and you're a firefighter um, or a paramedic. How do you respond? And so we essentially built this game um, for uh, emergency responders to practice how to respond. And through that process, um, we worked with a large team, lots of engineers. I very quickly was identified as the person who could, one, bridge the gap between the engineers and uh, the stakeholders and managers, and then two, designer of the UI. And so I had that role for a few years, and I just really, um, it felt really natural to me. And I will say that, like, I was surrounded by these engineers who were so much better engineers than me. And then there I was as, like, the best UI UX person. And in 2005, 2006, product management wasn't really like a well-defined um, space. You know, I didn't know any other product managers. And so I probably just assumed, called myself a, a UX designer, but I was doing a lot of product work. And um, from there, I left the research lab and uh, joined the virtual world company. And that's really, I think, when I started to, like, learn the craft of product. And, yeah, I was... I was my role there was chief creative officer, but essentially I was head of product. Um, and just started learning the craft, read all the books, um, all the very early blog posts at the time, and then left the virtual worlds company, um, you know, sort of in the last wave of virtual worlds. We, we rode this wave and then everything crashed. And so then I went to my next thing, uh, the, the iPhone had just come out. And, uh, you know, actually the, the year after the iPhone came out, the iPhone SDK came out. And so I just um, went out as like a product consultant around gamification since I had the gaming background working with iPhone apps. And, uh, and that was really my start. And that's when I really interacted with real um, New York City startups, venture-funded startups. And I just kept going from there. Just, um, kept refining my craft, you know, kept, kept building products um, and, you know, learned a ton along the way. That that sounds like a really exciting journey, you know, from, um, you know, not really fitting in in UI UX or, you know, engineering and then just, you know, finding the place where you just fit right in. So um, that's that's awesome. Um, so um, I've noticed that you spoke about Purple DAO and Charmverse. So and I've also seen you, um, you know, talk about that a lot on Firecaster. So could you tell our audience here more about what Purple Dow does and what Charmverse is about and how this project started out for you? Yeah, so we were two separate projects. Um, although Purple Dow uses Charmverse as our tool, um, I'll talk about sort of Purple and the origin story. And and some of this is like my origin story of, of finding Podcaster. And so I found Podcaster, not even really sure how. Um, I joined Podcaster. As a very early user, um, I don't know how early, but I was, I know for sure I was one of the first thousand users. Uh, it's still a very small network of, of, you know, thousands of people, maybe eight or nine thousand people. But I was very early and when I joined, there was already a lot of builder activity happening. And so all kinds of really cool utilities and apps built on the self-tested protocol. And, you know, I think the reason why is because it is a protocol. Um, it's not a private company's API, but it's a, a public protocol. And so a lot of builders who found it were excited to build things. And and some of those things were fun toys, and some of those things were filling the gaps. 
for instance, there's still a popular app called Searchcaster. It's the Farcaster app doesn't have search. And so you get a searchcaster.xyz and you can search all the Farcaster and it goes and it searches the whole protocol uh, for all of your results. And that was just created by a community member who did it just as like a hack project. It's not a company. There was no um, financial incentive for them to do that. And so here I am, I join, and I'm getting acclimated to the community for a few months, and I see all of this stuff happening, and just some of the most impressive builders I had seen in a long time, building all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and I, I just sort of sent out a cast that said, um, it would be really cool to build a Namix DAO that funded the builders in this Spark F3 ecosystem. And... Um, you know, viral is not a great term for a network that's super small, but, um, you know, it had some traction and, um, it was just sort of a, a thought for mine. I, I didn't even know how to build a Namish DAO. Um, when I say Namish DAO, there is, uh, a series of, a series of smart contracts that sort of manage how a Namish DAO works. And for people who don't know, there's like a perpetual auction. And so, um, you know, in purpose case, every 24 hours, a new token goes up for auction. So I win that auction, and they join the DAO. And so we get a new member of the DAO every day. And then all of that money goes into a treasury. Um, the treasury itself is a smart contract. The treasury can only be unlocked by proposals. And so it kind of is, um, I think, a DAO in sort of a tourist sense of the word. But anyway, I sent this task, and I thought it was cool, and I was kind of one of these, you know, ideas you just have and put out into the world. And I didn't know how to build it. Um, and then immediately a few people DM me in Telegram and just said, Hey, this is really cool. Let's, let's try to do it. And that turned into a three person Telegram chat into a hundred person Telegram chat. And we were talking about like how cool it would be to have a, uh, just a treasury that could fund really cool activity happening in the Farcaster ecosystem in a kind of public goods sort of way. Um, and then at that time, Jacob from Zora is uh, also a heavy Farcaster user. He joined the chat and Jacob said, hey, we are building nouns.build, which is a tool to allow anyone to launch their own Namish DAO. And you guys would be a great fit. And so we started working with Zora, not really officially, but they said, hey, and now all this is deployed on testnet, so you guys should go and play. And so we did a lot of testing on testnet, helped them find some early bugs, um, we used it internally to sort of decide on all the parameters of your DAO, how is the artwork, how often we want this changes to be. Um, and then, so we had you know, a community of 100 plus people uh, really contributing here in a Telegram chat about trying to get this thing off the ground. And when Nounsville was moved to mainnet, we were, we were well prepared. I mean, we launched, you know, within an hour probably of them being on mainnet. And so we were therefore the first people to launch on nouns.build. Um, and we had interest, and the Farcaster community was pretty hyped up. And so our first 20 tokens went for between one to three ETH. And so we were able to build a treasury really quickly and then start to deploy that treasury to builders. And the very first thing we did was ran a small grants round for all of the cool stuff that had already happened uh, that inspired us in the first place. We had a list of maybe 15 of the projects and everyone who was a token holder of purple got to vote on their favorite projects. And we had five winners at one ETH each. That was just a gift, a retroactive gift for 
for doing all this cool stuff. And so that is the story, the origin story of Purple. Now I can talk about Chomverse, which is like um, where I can spend most of my time. And um, and Purple uses Chomverse as some tooling. Um, but Chomverse is uh, a, a place for your DAO to coordinate and communicate in an asynchronous way. And so, you know, we love Discord. Uh, Purple has a Discord. A lot of chat happens in Discord. Um, it can feel chaotic. It can be a good energy. It can be a bad energy. Uh, it can feel like very hard to, to collaborate with people in different time zones because sometimes it feels like if you weren't awake when all the conversation was happening, it's like too late to participate. And so but there are lots of positives uh, to using Discord too. Just, just the energy. And sometimes you really do need real-time chat and a really great way to brainstorm is like real-time bouncing these ideas off each other. But we uh, will take uh, our Discord chats when they start to get serious, then on to Charmverse. And um, the way Purple uses it um, pretty heavily is once we start to think of an idea for a proposal and we sort of do a little bit of ideating and workshopping, we then move that proposal to Charmverse. Um, you know, Charmverse had the proposal section that you can think of as like a Notion document or a Google document. And so someone creates that document and then there's lots of commenting that happens and suggested edits and we, and you can get kind of a heat check of like, is this proposal even going to pass? Um, and so we use Tumblr heavily for that functionality. And when we feel good about it, we then put it up for a vote uh, using our, our kind of on-chain proposal system at Purple. Um, and, and that's that. And then that's the second kind of major, there's a couple of things we're using Tumblr for at Purple. One is we have a member directory. And so it's very hard to just kind of know all the members in your DAO. Purple is still relatively small because we allow one person in per day, but it's over 100 people. Um, not all of those people have made it into Discord because um, some people are just allergic to Discord or there's Discord burnout, or you might even be in the Discord, but you're also in 25 other Discords, and so you're not really paying attention. Um, so we have a member directory inside of Charmverse where we can see all the members. In, in purple and they fill out their bio information. So maybe if you're looking for who's a designer in purple, you can find that through the member directory. And then finally, we use the forums for kind of slower, longer conversations. Or if someone in the purple community launches a product, they might post about it on the forums so we all see it and can converse around it. And so that's sort of my two separate worlds, you know, like purple and, and the DAO that I'm in. And then Tumblr, which I'm building. and and uh, how we use them and how they cross over. I think both the worlds are completely like pretty much the same thing. You know, it's like one connects to the other. And that's awesome. You know, like um, you're kind of a legend on Farcaster for doing this. And I'm also a member of your Discord and um, I love what you're doing. So, you know, kudos to you for that. Um <laughs> Yeah, so my next question to you is, um, you've been building products in both Web2 and Web3 for a while now. Um, so what's the difference in the process, you know, in building products in Web2 and Web3? And um, why do you prefer building in Web3 now? Okay, great. I um, I will say, I, I think mostly it's the same. There's certainly a lot of similarities. Um, and like your craft that you learned in, in if you, if you had learned product in web two, all of that craft is applicable to web three. And at the very core, you're trying to find product market fit. And, um, you're doing that by building, you know, 
building it, putting it into the world, measuring it, and then learning and doing it over and over again. So I think there's like this um, flywheel or engagement loop, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. And I think that's true of, of Web 2 or Web 3. And so a lot of the fundamentals are, are completely the same. Um, well, some of the differences are, one of the like major differences is when you're building product, I would say product means a lot of things. And um, I am a product manager. And so I often interact with the engineering team and the design team and the data science team, depending where I'm at. Um, but I can also be the product designer, which is like a term verse. Like I do a lot of design work myself. Um, and then public product is also going to be product strategy. And so I think product strategy becomes quite different in Web3. One, because the regulatory environment is not that clear. And so you're often designing things uh, and then not even sure if they're going to be considered legal. And these aren't even like, these are certainly not scanning things. It's something like, I want to sell an NFT. Can I sell this NFT? And do I need to KYC this person if the NFT sells for $10,000? It's actually just not clear maybe what the answer is there. Or I want to sell this NFT and I want to take credit card payments. And so what are the regulatory um, risks in taking credit card payments to, to sell an NFT? And so there's a lot of that stuff um, where it's like, no, that exists in Web2. And it's, it's all, the law is very well defined globally, I think, around Web2 products. Uh, and, and it's basically not defined at all around Web3. And so that's one piece difference. Um, another is the sophistication level or familiarity of your user with kind of the ecosystem you're, you're playing in can be very, very different. And so, yeah, at Web2, you might be building an e-commerce site or a social product or, um, or really anything. And most users have a pretty good level of sophistication. They're going to know how to log in. They're going to know how to do all the things you need to do to operate your site. You know, you're... Your design paradigm is pretty standard and probably a lot like other people in the space. And so everyone knows what to do. Um, and you don't wind up with like these power users versus these kind of new users. But in Web3, you absolutely have that. You have people who are like really super power users. And if there's a blockchain transaction, they want to make sure there's a link to a block explorer, like either scan, so they can review that. Or if there's a smart contract, they want to read and review the smart contract. And in the same app, you'll have users who don't know or care about any of that stuff. And so one of the challenges and differences can be how do you keep the interface simple, uh, you know, and simplify things when there are power users who have real power user needs. So I'll say that's maybe something else that's, that's different. And then and there's just a lot that we deal with around the edges. Uh, the wallet interface is still not great. And UI UX around wallets are not great. And so... If you're a new user, that can really be a barrier. Um, we don't tend to collect email addresses or phone numbers in Web3, and so it's actually harder to notify your user. And so, so, so notifications can be abused and annoying, but they can also be like really helpful. Like For instance, when a purple uh, proposal goes live, we have no way to notify all the token holders that there's a proposal that they should vote on. You know, we can think about it in Discord. We can talk about it like Charmverse. Um, we can post about it on Farcaster, um, but there's still no direct way to notify people uh, how you know, that there are events that they should be paying attention to. So maybe, maybe those are 
there's a, a third challenge of this. Lots of little kind of UI UX challenges. I would say a third one, although I feel like this is becoming more and more of a solved problem, but when I first joined Web3, I had just left like I don't know, just a, a mature career in Web2. And in Web2, they were like, at this point, you're basically sticking together Lego. And if you can kind of, not to go as far as no-code, but you could no-code a lot of this stuff. But, you know, you have a developer team and you're pulling a bunch of libraries and you're using a bunch of third-party services and, you know, your database may need a hosted service. And it's like all of these Legos you're like pulling together. And when I was doing the Web3 web uh, product building and then especially on, on the Tether blockchain, none of that stuff existed. And so we wound up having to just write a lot of it ourselves or, or rebuild the wheel. You know, in the EVM world, it's a lot more mature. There are lots of tools but there are still not as many tools as exist in the Web 2 world. And so either you're building things from scratch or you're making product trade-offs and like not need some of those features. So that's, and I'll, I'll cap that as like similarities and differences between the spaces. And then your second question is why do I prefer um, building in Web 3? And I think there's like a lot of reasons. I'm like a full believer. Uh, I believe this is the future of the internet. And it's kind of all of the things you've heard from many of the true believers in the space. But one that I'll call out, uh, which maybe is, is something new, is I just really love to learn. And I feel like in Web3, you're just learning every single day. There's so much activity happening. Um, even in a slower market, there's new things launching every day, new techniques for smart contracts. You know, you learn about something like verifiable credentials and have to go that deep dive on verifiable credentials and how that can work in Charmverse. And so it's just kind of a constant learning process. I feel a little bit in Web2. I just stopped learning and then I become focused on how do I trick the user? You know, it's like, I know, I know how to use all these tools. I know the craft. How do I get them to click that button? And then you have like 10 meetings about getting someone to click this button. Um, and, and not to me, what is the kind of learning I was like interested in continuing and exploring? Whereas like, I think in Web3, you just learn. You just, you, you cannot help it. Uh, but, but to stay current, you're just constantly learning and there's constantly new stuff and new capabilities are unlocked and people try new things that really, you know, will open your eyes to, to the possibilities. And so I think one, I just believe that this is the future of the internet. And so this is where I want to be. But two, even all things equal, I just prefer to be in this Web3 environment where there's just constant learning. I love that. I love that. I think it's the same reason I continue to like stay in space and, you know, build here. It's because you're constantly learning. You're always meeting people who are like extremely curious and, um, you know, and, and there's someone always reinventing the wheel somewhere. And, you know, it's just exciting to be in a place like that. Um, my next question to you is um, that today, right now, a lot of young people are trying to get into product manager and head of product roles. So what would be your advice to them? Um, how can they get started on this journey? Uh, and so certainly one difference uh, from when I had started is there are university courses and, and degrees, even on product management. And there's a lot of stuff online and, and you know, the smokes online that you can learn product management. Um, so that exists, you know, and I certainly encourage that stuff. Even like the... Um, the equivalent of like hacker boot camps for product people can be really good. Uh, so that stuff is all very good. I think, but really a lot of it is still just reading a lot about product, reading kind of seminal blogs and works and, and, um, 
and then this is my advice kind of for everyone no matter what they're interested in is like vending silly stuff it's like it's very hard for me to get your resume um and really tell uh what you can do you maybe went to a fancy school that does not guarantee you that you're going to be a good uh manager. you may have worked at a huge company that still does not really guarantee to me that you're going to be a good manager at a small startup but the people who have a portfolio of things they've been building on the side, uh, that is really interesting to me. And so you, and maybe you don't have technical skills, maybe you don't have design skills, um, but you find people and friends who do, and you start a project with them, and you be the glue that makes that project launch, and then you're a product manager. And so you know, I'm a big fan of learning by doing. And then once you learn by doing, you have a piece of your portfolio that you can show others. And so then when you're looking for a job, um, you have something to show. And I think that's even doubly true for Web3, where it's a pretty small space. There's still hiring going on. It tends to be hard to break in from Web2 to Web3, but it's easier to break in if you actually have a Web3 project to show people. Even if it's a small project, like you launched an NFT project with a custom front end or something like that. Um, thanks for that. I think that's really helpful to a lot of people here. And, um, yeah, I think people take your advice and start building projects on the side, um, you know, to show people, you know, more of what they can do in the space. Um, so that brings us to the last round of this, um, podcast. So we do something like a rapid fire round now, um, where you will have five seconds to answer each question. So, um, are you ready? I'm ready, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what's your favorite Web3 product? Um, my favorite Web3 product, Nouns.Build. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, a, a book someone building products must read? Uh, zero to one by Ben Harwitz. What's your favorite account on Firecaster? Oh, man, that's a super tough one. Vitalik is on Firecaster. I like every time he posts. Oh, Vitalik survives. <laughs> um, if you could rebuild any Web3 product or community all over again, which one would it be and why? I would rebuild one of the wallets um, in a way that I just think is more modern and user-friendly. Um, name one Web2 product that you think has changed the world forever. Uh, ChatGPT. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's it's changed the world forever. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Chris, for being, you know, being such a nice guest and, you know, answering all the questions in such great detail. And, um, you know, you put so much thought into everything you said. So thank you so much for being over with us. Um, I, I hope you had fun. Yeah, this is great. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you, everyone who's here live. Uh, and certainly thank you, everyone who's listening to the podcast. Um, thank you everyone for coming over and listening to our episode of Where's the Block. And um, make sure you are here again next time. We usually host this at 7.30pm every week, every Monday on Shardian Discord. So um, see you guys here and thank you so much for attending. Thank you.